Glad to see all of you here this morning. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, we will be camping in several verses there this morning. As you're turning there, let me just say to our guests, we are glad that you're here, and we hope that you will stick around after services, let us get to know you, and you get to know us just a little bit better. Uh, and I guess just a, a brief word of, of update, or just to kind of let you know the way things are. We've been without the projector for months now, and we've been using the songbooks. Uh, since then, our old projector gave out, and we've got a new one. That's a brand new projector. The problem is that there's supposed to be a lens that was supposed to come with it that the company has yet to ship to us. Wednesday by 7 p.m., though, it should be here. Uh, of course, we've, we've heard that before or something similar to it. So good, strong maybe we'll have it this Wednesday. All right. Uh, Lord willing, we will get that installed, that lens, and then we can have our projector back. So in the meantime, the songbooks are adequate for the task. Mark chapter 10, and we want to read verses 1 through 12. Mark 10, verses 1 through 12. Hear now the word of the true and living God. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let, no, let not man separate. And in the house disciples asked him again about this matter and he said to them whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her and if she divorces her husband and marries another she commits adultery let us pray Lord God we need your help this morning looking at the words of Christ looking at the teaching of Christ concerning the good original intention of marriage. May we see it clearly, understand marriage from your perspective, and then champion this in our lives, with our marriages, and to the culture around us. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. You know, the, the challenge 
of our study as we walk step in step with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. I've, I've sought to just tackle a chapter a week, and we've been doing that uh, throughout our study. And sometimes we focus in on just a, a particular passage. The technical, ter- technical term is a pericope. It's just a collection of verses of a particular episode from the life of Christ. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes I'll attempt to tackle the whole chapter and see the, the ebb and flow of the text and to walk along and, and pull from it to see from it the steps that Jesus took so that then we can seek to imitate and match those steps with our own lives. But the deeper I get into Mark, there is so much here. I mean, the rich young man, the rich, rich young man, the rich, rich young ruler is in this chapter. And I wanted to get to it, but I'm not going to be able to. And then you have the bit here that uh, is later on with the request of James and John, and, and Jesus is teaching there about uh, leadership, and we're not going to get to that. Blind Bartimaeus, I have a bit in my notes here that's just, we're just going to, touch that towards the end of this lesson and, and hopefully understand what's going on there as uh, Jesus heals him, but there's just so much. And then as I was looking at this text this week, the chapter, and I notice how it begins here with this teaching about divorce and really his teaching about marriage, it occurred to me it's just too rich, there's just too much. To, to cover and to tackle in, in one sermon. What I think we'll have to do is once we get through kind of the, the overview and, and the, taking our jet tour through the Gospel of Mark is we'll have to go back through and take a closer look at some of these, uh, some of these, this teaching and some of these events from the life of Christ in a bit more detail that we didn't get to. But in the meantime, we have our hands full this morning uh, with verses 1 through 12. Uh, this is a, a topic, a subject, marriage, divorce, remarriage, that has been written on a number of times. A number of books in my library are devoted to this subject. And the, the challenge, of course, is to tackle it with fresh eyes. And also, the other challenge is to climb back into that original first century context into which Jesus spoke. We're going to, going to attempt to do both of those this morning. We get a glimpse of the heart of Jesus here as he's in conflict. There is tension between Jesus and the religious elite, the religious leaders. The religious leaders think that they they think their perspective is in line with the word of God. They have Bible to back up their position. There were a couple of different schools of thought, rabbinic schools, uh, Hillel and Shemai who went back and forth debating the topic about what does Deuteronomy 24 really mean, which is the teaching there that Moses commanded or, or allowed, the certificate of divorce bit. And then there's the, the larger uh, social uh, situation into which Jesus is speaking. Jesus, some, some tend to think that Jesus is just giving like a hypothetical situation. You know, if a guy 
uh, a wife divorces, a man divorces his wife or a wife divorces her husband, that these are just hypotheticals. I'm persuaded he's actually ripping a well-known story from the headlines in order to show, hey, the Pharisees' idea and their perspective on this subject is actually more in line with this mess over here. I'll unpack that for you more in just a moment. But before we even get to the topic, do you notice what the text says here in Mark 10 and verse 1? Uh, Jesus, he's in the region of Judea, which is beyond the Jordan. Crowds are gathering to him. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. He taught the crowds. He taught the people. It was his custom to persistently teach the people that were coming to him. And what is especially fascinating is the great many of his, the the people that heard him, of the crowds that were gathering around him, a great proportion of them, a great many of them, were unbelieving. They had hard hearts. I mean, Jesus calls them on the carpet about it in verse 5. It is because of your hardness of heart that Moses wrote you this commandment. You get this, you see this very clearly when you get to, say, John chapter 6, and after he gets done teaching some hard things, the crowds begin to walk away. They don't really believe. In fact, Jesus had told them, you're just here because you wanted food. And, and, and once the crowd start walking away, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, you going too? And Peter says, well, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And Jesus knew. Don't miss this. Jesus knew. God the Son, the second person of the Godhead, knew even from eternity that when he would come and put on flesh and dwell among people, that he would come to his own and his own would not receive him. He knew they would reject him. He knew they would be hard of heart. He knew that his words would fall on deaf ears, and yet he still came and he still preached. He still taught. And I believe that is instructive for us right where we live. We live in the Central Valley of California. California is, and this may be an old figure, but it was the fourth largest mission field in the Western Hemisphere at one time. Now, because of all the, the, the folks, the mass exodus of people leaving the state, that may need to be adjusted, but it's a substantial mission field in the Western Hemisphere. But I can say from experience that this is hard ground. We are surrounded by people who have hard, stony hearts. People, they love their sin. They love darkness more than they love light. And so what do we do? Do we just throw in the towel and say, well, you know, what are you going to do? Nobody's going to hear the gospel message anyway. No. Jesus, God the Son, came and knew that the people would be hard of heart, and he still preached the gospel of the kingdom to them. Brothers and sisters, we must follow in his steps. We can do no other. It is our duty to teach. It is God who gives the results. And if he should grant revival to the Central Valley, then that is his business. 
Our business is to preach the gospel in its fullness. It can be frustrating. It can be tiresome. It can be heartbreaking. But it is our duty. We cannot give up teaching just because I'm just not seeing any results. I'm not seeing any good work done. Any, any good results. No, the word of God is going to go out and it will accomplish all the purposes for which he sends it out. Whether for salvation or condemnation. And that is his prerogative. It is our responsibility to go and to preach and to teach and to tell everybody the gospel of the kingdom, the good news that God is willing to save sinners, that Jesus is a perfect and willing Savior to all who will come to him. Plant seed, water seed, God will give the increase. That's the context for Mark 10. The context for the teaching about marriage and divorce and remarriage. Are we... Are we going to allow our hearts to remain soft and malleable so that the word and the teaching of Christ will impact us concerning this subject? Only you can answer that in your heart of hearts this morning. It is uh, well known that Mark 10, and the verses here, is a parallel account of Matthew chapter 19. And the teaching there. It's the, same, it's the same incident, the same instance. Matthew tells it slightly different than Mark does. There's a lot of overlap uh, in the two accounts. But as, as you walk through Mark's account, uh, the Pharisees, they ask, and notice they do it to test him. Why? Because their hearts are hard. They've heard Jesus teaching and preaching. They don't want it. And it's out of their hardness of hearts that they seek to test him. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? That's how Mark records it. And it implies what Matthew includes in his gospel, which is for any cause. And for any cause, that's actually technical language for the debate that was raging within the rabbinic schools. Any cause, again, that's the legal jargon. Mark assumes his audience will be familiar with, well, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of like, uh, uh, it's kind of like, is it, is it lawful for a child to drink? Is it lawful for a 16-year-old to drink? We automatically assume, you're not talking about water, right? We, uh, we in, in infer from that question, well, he must mean not water, but alcoholic beverages. And in a similar way, Mark seems to assume that his audience will be familiar with, well, yeah, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? For any, any reason. Jesus uh, engages in the Socratic method by answering a question with a question. What did Moses command you? And this is Jesus asking them for book, chapter, and verse. And they didn't have chapters and verses technically, but they did have the book, Deuteronomy 24. That's what's in back of this whole questioning business here is the text from Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. Verse 4, they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Right, it's because, verse 5, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. And here is the, the first tough teaching from our Lord on the topic. That divorce in a marriage relationship is rooted in hardness of heart. 
Sometimes it's because one spouse has a hard heart. The other doesn't want what's happening to them. They don't want uh, the divorce, but the other partner does, and out of the hardness of heart, they pursue their course. Sometimes it's both. The root of bitterness produces a, a harvest of sorrow, and both the husband and the wife are embittered at one another. Because of the hardness of their heart in that situation, it results in the dissolving of a marriage. But Jesus sets the record straight. Notice what he appeals to. He appeals to creation. But from the beginning of creation, Jesus goes beyond the law of Moses, not to say that the law is bad or or anything. The law is good and holy and, and right and just. But the law was given in order to protect individuals, and specifically, a lot can be said about this, but it was specifically designed to protect the woman. They, They assume that, yeah, Moses allowed a man because it's about his rights in the, the divorce and the marriage and all that. The law is given. You give a close reading to Deuteronomy 24. They're protecting the wife, the woman in that situation, from the harsh treatment of a husband. Go back and read Exodus 21, verses 10 and 11, that if a man denies his uh, wife uh, food, clothing, or marital rights, that's the physical affection and then also the material stuff, she has a right to walk away from that. He's, that's that's abuse. Jesus goes all the way back. It's, it's not supposed to be this way. See, God created them male and female. Now, here's, here's a, a tough teaching for our culture today that's uh, all about uh, the, the distortion of the original good creation. But it is male and female. There are two genders. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Again, here's the creational teaching from, by the way, Jesus, who was involved in the creation of everything, including people, human beings, who is saying that a marriage is between a man and a woman. And all other variants of that may be pretending at marriage, but it's actually a distortion of the good gift of marriage from God. It's a man and a woman, and that excludes all other options. Again, a tough teaching for our culture in the times in which we live. The two shall become one flesh. That also is hard for people to hear. The worldly, earthly perspective is, no, marriage is just, uh, what, like a social contract? between two people, a lot of, lot, of, lot of marriages in the world, and I don't know, maybe in the church too. You know, they, they have two of everything. They have joint, or not joint, they have two different bank accounts. Instead of a joint bank account, they have two different everything because, you know, kind of hedging our bets and things in case things kind of go squirrely here. The two become one flesh, the divine perspective. And again, this is what Jesus is teaching. He comes teaching the divine perspective concerning gender, male and female, concerning marriage, man and woman, and concerning the true nature of marriage, which is to become one flesh. So there are no longer two but one. That's what he says, verse 8. And what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. That's important too because he doesn't say that it's impossible a divorce is 
uh, the, the dissolving of the relationship. What Jesus says is it, it's immoral. It's not a good thing. I think every person who's ever been through a divorce would agree it's not a good thing. It's, 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 uh, it's awful. It's, it is. What ends up happening is you have to tear yourself apart, right? If the two have become one, well, then it is, it is, it is as if you are uh, tearing yourself in two. That's the force of this. And Matthew includes uh, further teaching here that actually echoes back to the Sermon on the Mount, and that's another bit of this context that, that uh, Mark doesn't include. Perhaps he assumes that the disciples to whom he is writing, the Christians to whom he's writing, already know about what Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. But Matthew chapter 5, uh, 31, 32, that looms large over Matthew's account of this in Matthew chapter 19. But here's, here's the way Mark tells it. So they get done, Jesus gets done, again, providing the lens through which the divine perspective concerning marriage to the Pharisees. They wouldn't like that, by the way. They wouldn't. Again, why? Hardness of heart. But in the house, the disciples, they, they want more information. They ask again concerning this matter. And he said, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, again, a lot of the literature concerning this text and the parallel text assume that Jesus is just making up a hypothetical. And it is true that sometimes Jesus does that. He's the master teacher. He's good at creating parables and things like that. I'm not so persuaded on that. I believe that there was an incident that, was, that everybody knew about that Jesus grabs hold of to say, look, here's a very earthly perspective on marriage that is actually in line with the Pharisees' earthly perspective. What was that incident that Jesus seems to rip from the Jerusalem Times or the Jerusalem Post or whatever that, that was headline news in their day? Well, it's no coincidence that Mark tells us that Jesus is in the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. That is Herod's backyard. And Herod had a brother named Philip. Both Herod and Philip are married. Herod has his wife. Philip is married to Herodias. What ends up happening, this is the history, this is the cultural context into which Jesus is speaking. Herod wants his brother Philip's wife, Herodias, which, by the way, the law was against. Go back and read Leviticus 18, Leviticus uh, 20. So Herod and Herodias determine to divorce their spouses. He divorces his wife in order to marry Herodias. Herodias divorces Philip in order to marry Herod. That's what Jesus is talking about here when he says, Whoever divorces his wife, even to marry another, that's adultery. You are committing adultery uh, against her. And if she divorces her husband and in order to marry another, then she commits adultery. That's the force of what Jesus is saying here. And again, there's been all kinds of... Uh, Teaching that has cropped up, especially in the brotherhood, concerning what Jesus is saying here. And I praise God for the faithfulness of 
those uh, brothers who've gone before? I don't think they've, they've nailed it on this because, again, a lot of them overlook the historical context. They overlook what Jesus is uh, alluding to here. That if you're, if you're a person who is playing fast and loose with the rules, as it were, to divorce a spouse because you have your eyes set on somebody else, you are dealing treacherously with the covenant of marriage. And that is a very serious thing. That's a grave thing. Jesus says that's you're committing adultery. You are adulterating the covenant. To then take that and kind of spread it like peanut butter over the whole subject of marriage and divorce and remarriage, I think does an injustice to Jesus' teaching. And that, again, is how the teaching has been applied, and I don't think that's fair. Not, to, not only because uh, it misses the point of what Jesus is teaching here in Mark chapter 10 and also Matthew chapter 19, it doesn't take into account the law, Exodus 21, and also Deuteronomy 24, and it also doesn't take into account the teaching of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, yeah, that, yeah, chapter 7, that's right. What ends up happening then is you have either Jesus in disagreement with the law, and I don't think he, Jesus, it's the law. He, he fulfills the law for sure, but he doesn't negate the law. And by the way, that would put Jesus in conflict with Paul, who says that the law is good and, and holy, or, on the other hand, it puts him in conflict with Paul and his teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I think Paul, a Jewish rabbi, an expert in the law, has in the back of his mind as he's writing 1 Corinthians 7, Exodus 21, which is a text which is often overlooked in the whole discussion uh, of this. So I hope you can appreciate, number one, there's a lot more that can be said about this subject, yes? But then... Let's take the next step. Okay, we see the step that Jesus takes. He is championing marriage from the divine perspective. What does that mean for us? Number one, I think we have to uh, ask the question, do I really believe the divine perspective? Do, do I really believe what Jesus is saying here and what he is teaching concerning marriage? Every last married couple needs to ask that question. And I hope we can all answer in the affirmative, absolutely. Yes, I really believe it. I really believe that we are, that, that the two become one flesh. And then we need to turn around and champion that not only the, the biblical perspective of, of, of husband and wife, but that, this, that God's intention for marriage is lifelong commitment to one another. And it's not just, you know, hey, we're just gonna we're gonna uh, uh, clench our teeth and and really dig in our heels here, and it's just it's just a, a fight to the finish line here with one another. No, that we actually live out our covenant relationship in a, in a way that's enjoyable. That that we recognize that the two have become one flesh. This has impact upon how we make decisions in the marriage relationship. I've, I've talked about this before, just briefly. Before you got married, there was just you. And sometimes you would go to a restaurant to eat, or sometimes you would eat at home. 
When you get married, the, the me ID now becomes a we ID, an identi- identi- uh, uh, identity. The we identity is that's what you, you became when the two became one flesh. And so this unilateral decision-making that you used to have as a single person is no longer applicable because, again, now the two have become one flesh. And we now have this we ID. And now it's not, well, sometimes I go out and sometimes I don't. Now it's, well, sometimes we go out to eat. Sometimes we don't. We eat at home, right? Again, do we really believe the two become one flesh? The other thing is, we need to champion this not only for ourselves, and that's where it starts, by the way, but then it's got to bleed out to our brothers and sisters in Christ, bleed out in in how we champion and talk about marriage with uh, the guys or with the gals, right? Because if we are championing less than what Jesus taught, we, we don't have the divine perspective firmly fixed in our minds. What do I mean? If you're out with the boys and, and you know, they're all running down their wives and, you know, you're, you're one of the guys. So, yeah, the old ball and chain and all that, right? And you start participating in it. That is a less than, that's a sub-biblical view of marriage. Brother, repent. And by the way, I know she is not... Uh, 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 adverse to this, uh, it happens to the wife as well. She's out with her gal pals and talking, and maybe they're running down their husbands, and she's like, yeah, you, well, my, and she just jumps in as well. Again, that's sub-biblical. That is less than the divine perspective, sister. Repent. You see how this, this touches everything. We need a champion. Christians ought to have the best marriages on the planet. Ought to, by the way. That's, that's the force of that. And then the, the other thing I see, and this is, this is really where it gets tough. Maybe it's, maybe it's our relationship. Maybe it's uh, a marriage relationship that you know about and someone has confided in you. When a marriage is on the rocks, husband and wife are in conflict, what, what's the counsel that we give? I mean, is it just stuff that we're coming up with off the top of our heads? Yeah, you're, you're right, sweetheart. She's, she's, he, he's, just, uh, he's just a cat, and, you know, you, you just need to get out of there. Oh, man, dude, you're right, man. She's crazy. You got to get out of there. Or do we champion Christ loved his church and gave himself up for her. And I understand she 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 may be wearing you out. He he may be uh, a, a burden in some ways. but I don't think any of us have shed our blood yet in the marriage relationship. Christ went to the cross for his bride. 
And even here, there's a bunch of, well, well, what about, what about, what about? I know, I know. Again, it's a big subject and a lot more can be said about it. But suffice it to say that in the marriage, that when it comes to a marriage relationship and a marriage relationship that's in conflict, we ought to be people who still champion husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. Are we going to trust God, the one who created the institution of marriage in the first place? Are we going to trust God in our marriages? Are we going to depend upon the Holy Spirit wisdom that's recorded here in Scripture, which is an accurate record of the words of the Son who was sent by the Father? Are we going to rely upon this, or are we just going to kind of, you know, Make it up as we go. Do we really believe that this has everything we need for life and godliness? And that it will suffice for any and every situation in the marriage relationship? Or, again, will we, will we build a, a different lens through which we see marriage? A lens that looks an awful lot like the world's lens. Again, these are questions that we have to answer in our own heart of hearts. Uh, go to the end of uh, Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Mark has a, uh, a number of these uh, very interesting, sometimes unique uh, accounts in his gospel. We, we have, we've had already, we didn't look at it in too much detail, but back in, I believe it's Mark chapter 8, you have the, the man who's healed twice, the blind man healed twice. The first time he's healed, I see people, but they're like trees, and then he's healed again fully. Well, here's another healing of a blind man, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. And he's calling out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. There's those who are rebuking him, telling him to be quiet. And Jesus calls him over, though, and says, take heart, uh, uh, the people say, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And he sprang up, came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. The first and primary purpose of the miracles of Christ are to demonstrate that he is exactly who he claimed to be. That he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, even God in the flesh. But I do believe there's also a, a teaching point here concerning the divine perspective and, and how we are to adopt it. This miracle where blind Bartimaeus gets his sight back, uh, sight back I believe, is intended to help the reader understand that in order to in order to uh, maintain or to have the proper perspective, the, the, the view uh, of God, to, to see marriage with God's eyes, that it's only possible because of Christ healing our spiritual blindness. And that we do have spiritual blind spots that can only be healed by Christ. That if we would have full, clear vision, specifically of marriage, but there's... 
The whole chapter deals with uh, the, the, the view of the kingdom, the view of eternal life. There's so much more, again, that could be said from just this chapter. But specifically, what we've talked about this morning is if we're to have the view of marriage that God ha- would have us to have, it must come because Jesus, the son of David, has healed us of our spiritual blindness. God gives us the capacity to see through his eyes, to have the proper perspective concerning marriage and, in particular, our marriage as well. Let's commit this to prayer, shall we? Father God, we thank you for sending the Lord Jesus into this world to teach us. We thank you that you have sent the Holy Spirit into the world and even into our hearts so that we're able to cry, Abba, Father, and that he helps us in enlightening the eyes of our hearts, in giving us new eyes so that we can see things from your perspective. We pray that with the sword in the Spirit's hand, he would do his careful work in our hearts and in our minds. And may we champion only that which you would have us to champion when it comes to marriage. We pray all of this to the glorious name of Jesus. Amen.